This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 23. I'm reading this from the the New King James. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The AV says the profession of our faith without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Faithful. Faithfulness is a quality that is in short supply today. Politicians are very often unfaithful to their election pledges. We're coming up to an election in just a few weeks' time, and no doubt they'll be knocking on our doors, promising all kinds of things. So we need to say to them, I'll hold you to that. Because it's easy promising, isn't it? It's another thing actually carrying out the promise. Large multinational companies are often unfaithful to their workforces in favor of their shareholders. The judiciary can be unfaithful to the rule of law and the guilty go unpunished. Unfaithfulness within marriages is endemic within society. Church members can be unfaithful to church. Church pastors and church ministers can be unfaithful to the members. A bigger offer comes along, and they're gone without a buyer leave. By the way, a minister can move on, a pastor can move on in the will of God, but sometimes it's just a bigger offer has been put on the table. Unfaithful. Unfaithfulness hurts us, and it hurts others. It diminishes, it shortchanges. And if we are unfaithful, then we lose our credibility, uh, we lose our sense of worth, uh, people no longer trust us or believe in us. So we need to be, as much as lies in us, we need to be faithful. The story of Israel in the Old Testament is one of unfaithfulness. How many times did God bless and nurture and prosper and protect only to find that Israel ran after other gods. And then when they had a belly full of their other gods, they would cry unto Jehovah, and in his mercy and compassion, he would receive them to himself. He would bless them again, and they'd go through another spell of blessing, and then they would run after other gods again. It's continual almost throughout the Old Testament until after captivity, and even generations of captivity. Then when they come out of that, at last, at last they put away the other gods and became faithful again. Writer of the Hebrews said, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he is faithful who promised. 
God is faithful to his promises. 1 Kings 8, 56, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. There has not failed one word of all his good promise which he promised through his servant Moses. There has not failed one single word of all that God promised. So God takes his promises very, very seriously indeed. His honor, his integrity, his credibility, all depends on God keeping his word. And God will not allow any man to call him a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar, the Bible says. God is a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. Now in our humanity, in our flesh, uh, we, we desperately try to keep our word. And sometimes we make a promise, and we fully intend to keep it, but circumstances happen, and in our weakness and in our flesh, often we break that promise. We should try not to do that as much as possible, because God wants us to keep our word. He wants us to keep our promises. So has God made you a promise? Has God given you a promise, say, from his word? If God has given you a promise, then stand upon it. Write it down. Speak it out loud. Do whatever you need to do to remind yourself of God's promise. You can bank on it. You can count on it. It's safer than shares on Apple. Better than your ISA account. It's the Lord God Almighty's word to you. Sometimes, you know, when you're reading through the Scriptures, you might be going through a difficult uh, situation, and suddenly God gives you a specific promise from His Word, and there's hundreds of them. But at that moment, it's for you, and it's real to you, and it lifts your spirit, and you say, God, that is your promise to me. There may be a million people around the world saying the same thing, but at that moment it's for you, and God has put that into your spirit. Peter called his promises exceedingly great and precious promises by which we become partakers of the divine nature. Exceedingly great and precious promises. Why are God's promises so exceedingly great and precious. Well, not only does he promise life in John 10, 10, but he promises abundant life. They're exceedingly great, far above all that we can even ask or think. I don't know about you, but very often I find myself considering that I don't ask God for enough. I don't mean in a greedy way, in a self-serving way, but I don't ask God or don't expect enough whenever I think that his promises are exceedingly great and precious. He not only promises joy, but fullness of joy. Jesus said in John 15, 11, that your joy may be full. Hmm. Sometimes we have happy moments, don't we? Smiley moments. Sometimes we laugh out loud at things. But to have a deep inner joy that is absolutely full 
how often or how little do we actually experience that to have that deep fullness of joy he not only promises peace but he promises perfect peace he will keep you Paul said in Philippians 4 in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee perfect peace a quality of peace that he possesses my peace I give unto you not as the word gives give I unto you let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid that's a supernatural peace isn't it at times when you should in the natural be worried sick when you should be getting ulcers because of what's happening around you and yet in spite of it there's a peace that passes all understanding that has to be a gift of God a, a quality of God that he puts into your heart not only promises grace but he promises special grace all sufficient grace Paul said my grace is sufficient for you Paul prayed three times for that thorn to be removed and God said I won't remove it but I'll give you sufficient grace for you to handle it so sometimes the thorn isn't removed Sometimes the problem doesn't go away. But in those times, there's a grace that helps you handle it. That helps you live in spite of it. That helps you overcome in spite of it. That's special grace that God gives. God's promises are sufficient to meet every single need we have today whether that's food, whether that's clothing to wear, whatever material need that we have got. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus speaks of this. The Sermon on the Mount, verse 25, Matthew 6, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore do not worry. How many times does he have to tell us? Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So what is your need today? Is it a material need? Is it something that you're short of? Are you literally concerned about tomorrow, next week, next month? Jesus said, do not worry. 
See, that's a big ask. That's a difficult thing. Jesus didn't say, well, it was difficult or easier. Otherwise, he just says, do not worry. So therefore, there must be something that we can do. We must be able to make a choice or decision whether to worry or not to worry. Otherwise, that would be impossible. He says, do not worry. Trust me. Your Father knows that you have need of these things. What about wisdom? If any man, James says, lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives all men liberally and does not reproach or upbraid, but let him ask in faith. Not doubting. Not being like the wave of the sea that's tossed. Do we lack wisdom? God has got an abundance of it for us. What about forgiveness and restoration? Isaiah 55, come on to God. He will abundantly pardon. <laughs> Do you know that God loves to forgive? It's his nature to forgive. We struggle with forgiveness, don't we? To be honest, don't we? We struggle with it. But God doesn't. As soon as we repent, as soon as we genuinely say, Lord, I am truly sorry, he immediately and instantly forgives. He loves to forgive. He waits on us to come to him, no matter how long it takes, so that he can forgive. It's an abundance of forgiveness. Do you lack assurance? Do you lack confidence? Let's keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. If we keep on knocking, the door will open. If we keep on seeking, we'll find. If we keep on asking, it shall be given. No wonder Peter says these are exceedingly great and precious promises. At times we just have to remind ourselves of God's promise, don't we? God is faithful not just to his promises, but God is faithful to his prophecies. See, if God will fail to keep his promise, could he not fail to keep his prophecy? If God's word would fail in his promise, surely it could fail in his prophecies. If he failed to keep one promise, he could fail to keep one prophecy. But which one? Which one could he fail to keep? <laughs> we just passed Easter where we talked about the resurrection. <coughs> Jesus himself prophesied on occasion about his own resurrection. Didn't he? Didn't he give examples? Didn't he give the example of Jonah? As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Did that prophecy come true? Absolutely. Remember we told you at Easter, destroy this temple three days, I will raise it up again. They thought he was talking about the building. He was talking about this body. Did that prophecy come true? Absolutely, right to the word. 
God is faithful to his prophecies. Sometimes it takes generations for prophecies to come true. Many of the prophets and many of their prophecies they did not see happen in their lifetime. Isaiah and Jeremiah and prophets that got hundreds of years before Christ prophesied of the Messiah, well, they didn't live to see it. But God made sure their words would not fall on the street, that they would come true. Consider this for a moment. In the New Testament, early church in particular, they wanted to establish their evidence for Christ as Messiah and for Christ being the Son of God. And there's two ways they did that primarily. One was preaching the resurrection. Again, last week was Easter, and we talked about that being one of the main planks in the teaching of the early church. And they had the evidence to back it up. And everywhere they went, they preached the resurrection. But something else throughout their writings you'll find is they kept referring back to the Old Testament prophecies about Christ as Messiah over and over and over and over again to show the Jewish nation that he truly was their Messiah, even though they did not accept it and has yet to accept it. But it was evidence to show them and there was many, many, many prophecies. For instance, concerning his birth, born of the seed of a woman, Genesis 3.15, fulfilled in Galatians 4.4 and Matthew 1.20. Born of a virgin, Isaiah 7.14, fulfilled in Matthew 1.18, 24.25. I'll not give you all these scripture references, too many. By the way, if you're taking notes for the word, you can just summarize this portion, all right? Because it's going to blow your mind in a moment or two. And you won't have time to write it down. So you can just summarize it. He was to be of the seed of Abraham, Genesis 22:18, which means he was going to come from the Jewish nation. So he is to be of the seed of Abraham. He was to be as a son of Isaac in Genesis 21 and 12. In his genealogy in Luke 3, you'll find that. Remember, Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And God completely overruled Ishmael in favor of Isaac because this was part of the prophetic word of God. And so God took half of Abraham's lineage and totally bypassed it in favor of Isaac. Then he was to be called from the son of Jacob. In Numbers 24, 17, a star shall arise out of Jacob. I remember Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. So what does God do? He bypasses the whole lineage of Esau in favor of Jacob because his word is going to come to pass. Then he was to be of the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49 and 10. Again, Luke 3, his lineage, you'll see that there. Remember, Jacob had 12 sons. All of them became tribes of Israel. Judah 
was one of those tribes. So God bypassed 11 out of the 12 tribes and chose the tribe of Judah to fulfill his word. Then out of the tribe of Judah, God would choose a family, the family of Jesse, Isaiah 11 and 1. There would be a rod from the stem of Jesse, a root from the branches of Jesse. And Jesse was just one of hundreds, maybe thousands of families in all of Judah. But God had his word to fulfill. So that one family was chosen. And in that family there was eight sons. And God bypassed seven of them and chose one because he was to come from the house of David in Jeremiah 23 and 5. And so God goes to extraordinary lengths. And out of all of the towns and villages and cities all over Israel, God chose Bethlehem because Micah 5 and 2 prophesies that that's where he would be born. So God bypasses all of those towns, all of those villages, all of those cities, and he chooses one. And so over and over and over and over again, God is proving his word to be true. There's at least 29 prophecies in the Old Testament which speak of the betrayal, the death, the trial, the, bur the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these were prophesied over hundreds of years by various prophets and people. And yet, there was 29 of these prophecies all were to be fulfilled in Jesus in one 24-hour period. In just one day. 29 of them. What would be the chances? Betrayed by a friend. Psalm 41.9. Sold for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah 11 and 12. The money to be thrown down in God's house. Remember whenever Judas came back, I betrayed innocent blood. Remember the money was thrown down on the temple floor. The price given for a potter's field, Zechariah 11, 13. And so on and on these prophecies go. Forsaken by his disciples, Zechariah 13, 7. Accused by false witnesses. I'll not read any more scriptures. Mute before his accusers. Wounded and bruised. Smitten and spit upon. Mocked. Fell under the cross. Hands and feet pierced. Crucified with thieves. Made intercession for his persecutors. Rejected by his own people. On and on and on and on it goes. So many prophecies being fulfilled. Now here's the interesting thing. Peter Stoner in Science Speaks, which was a book published in 1963, he determined the probability of one man fulfilling just eight of these Old Testament prophecies regarding himself. Were they just chance? Or is this and was this truly the Word of God? So he says, let's try to imagine what this means. He says, if we took, he gives a figure of 100 million, 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 million. 
So one in 100 million, 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 million. He says, if you translate it into silver dollars, because he's an American, spread all that over the state of Texas, it would cover the state of Texas two feet deep. He says, mark one of the silver dollars, stir the whole mass thoroughly, blindfold a person, and tell them that they can travel as far as they want, but they must pick just one silver dollar and say that that is the one that's marked. What would be the chances of that happening to pick up the right one first time? That would be the exact odds of just eight of the messianic prophecies happening by chance alone. Then he goes on to say, consider the possibility of any one person fulfilling 48 of the prophecies by chance. And by the way, there's dozens and dozens and dozens. So he just picks up a number 48, all right? Here's what the number would look like. One out of, all right? One out of 100, 100 million Million, 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 million. See why I told you not to write this down? Million, 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 million. Somebody doesn't this CD will think there's something wrong with that. It's stuck. All right. I'm not finished yet. Million, 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 million. I need to take a drink now. Million, 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 million. <laughs> that would be the chances of 48 of those messianic promises all being fulfilled in one person and let me tell you there is many more than 48 God said in Isaiah 46 9 and 10 remember the former things long past for I am God and there is no other I am God and there is no one like me declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things which have not been done, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Amen. I'm grateful for Dave Arch. Not Archer, by the way. Dave Arch for that information. That's good, isn't it? Just to remind us of how accurate and how true the Word of God is. If science was coming up with something like that, believe me, it would be published as the greatest discovery ever. And yet it's all in the Word of God, isn't it? God is faithful to His promises. He's faithful to His prophecies. And God is faithful to His people. God was faithful to Abraham. Ah. God came to Abraham... Genesis 12 when he was 75 and his wife Sarah had just got her bus pass just 65 and God said that his seed would inherit Canaan he didn't have any seed but God was going to be faithful to that old man that old man would have to wait until he was 100 years old and his wife was 90. Can you imagine pushing a pram down the street when you're 90? That would be a head turner, wouldn't it? 
Well, they'd probably think that was your great-grandchild. No, it's actually my child. At 90, God was faithful to Abraham and Sarah. He kept his word. He kept his promise. No matter how long it took, no matter how impossible it seemed, no matter how ridiculous people may have thought it was, God kept his word to them. He was faithful to Abraham. That's why I said earlier, has God made you a promise? It could take a while. You could be in for the long haul. But if he's genuinely made you a true promise, then you can bank on it. You can count on it. God was faithful to Jonathan. We talked about this a few weeks ago, didn't we? How that Jonathan, knowing that God had bypassed him in favor of David to be king, knowing how bad things were going with the house of Saul and the house of David, he made David promise. He says, promise you'll take care of my family. When I'm gone, look after my kids. And years and years passed, and then David, one day in his palace, remembered that promise. And he was faithful to Jonathan, wasn't he? Is there any left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God to? Yes, he was said, there's one, Mephibosheth. He lives in Lodibar. Go and get him. Bring him to sit at my table continually. God was faithful to Jonathan. You see, Jonathan loved David. And Jonathan protected David. And Jonathan humbled himself before David. And Jonathan allowed himself to take second fiddle, if necessary. So God made sure he was going to be faithful to him and to his children. God was faithful to Peter, wasn't he? Even the Bible says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself, 2 Timothy 2.13. And God was faithful to Peter. Peter who denied the Lord, who blatantly lied, who swore with an oath, who was so frightened, whose courage had taken wings and fled, and he followed quickly afterwards. The boaster, the braggart, humbled, ashamed, humiliated, and he walks off and goes into hiding. But God was faithful. The Lord seeks him out. When the woman went to the tomb and they met that bright angel, why seek you the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. And then a message from the master. Go tell my disciples and Peter. Don't forget to tell Peter. I go before them into Galilee. There, I'll await them there. Go tell my disciples, and he specifically mentions Peter because he knew exactly how Peter would feel. He knew exactly where Peter was, what he was thinking, perhaps what he was even thinking of doing. Make sure Peter knows that he's going to see me. And so we can mess up and we can go off the rails. Not that we should, not that we need to, but in our humanity we can. But God can remain faithful in spite of it. 
How many backsliders has found out that God was faithful when they were unfaithful? Hmm? How many prodigals has returned sometimes after years only to find that God was waiting all the time? God was faithful to Esther. It was going to take a lot of courage and guts for her to go into that palace unannounced and present herself before the king. Big risk of her life being lost. She was just one of many queens. And yes, he was very fond of her, but she hadn't been in his company for about a month. But, Mordecai said, if you don't do this, don't think you'll escape what they're planning for all the Jews. And who knows, but you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so, taking courage in hand, hmm, she went in before the king, and God was faithful. God was faithful. And the king reached out his scepter as a sign of acceptance and approval. And you know the rest of the story, the whole Haman plot was unraveled. And he hung upon his own gallows because God was faithful. And maybe you have to face a certain situation. Maybe you have to be brave. Maybe you have to take courage in hand. And you're wondering, what will the outcome be? But God is faithful. And God was faithful to Ruth. Hmm. Naomi went out with her husband and her two sons. Famine in the land. They went to a foreign land. Things didn't work out very well there either. Her husband died. And then one after the other, both her sons died. And she was left with two daughter-in-laws who were Moabites. And she became very bitter. God brought me out full and he's going to send me back empty. Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, bitter. I'm bitter. I hate, this is, I'm putting words in her mouth, this is what I hate what God's done to me. Well, God didn't have done anything to her. God didn't even tell them to leave the country. Now, they trusted God with a worm, about it worked out, but they didn't. A little Ruth, bless her, that wee more British maiden decided that she would return with her mother-in-law. And if her mother-in-law was going back to nothing, as she thought, Ruth was going to less than nothing because she wasn't of the covenant. She wasn't an Israelite. She was a foreigner and a very, very poor one at that. But God was faithful. God was faithful. God saw her sacrifice. He saw her love to Naomi. He saw her faithfulness to Naomi. So God was going to be faithful to her. And you know the end of the story, she went back and then she found Boaz, who was a relative, a very wealthy relative of Naomi, married Boaz and became in the very lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> one of the few Gentiles who became the lineage of Jesus, the Son of God.
because God was faithful to Ruth. And God will be faithful to us too. Revelation 19 and 11, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. Hmm. See, it's important to God, faithfulness. One of the titles of his own son is Faithful and True. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. God will be faithful to establish you. Paul says, He who began a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ because he's faithful. So what has God started in your life? He'll be faithful to finish it if we believe him and trust him and keep on walking before him. God will be faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope or the profession of our faith, if you prefer, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You see, it's easy being faithful to somebody you love. And he loves you. And if we love him, it will be easy to be faithful. 48 years ago this July, Sally and I stood at an altar in a church and we made our vows. And because we love each other, dearly we have been faithful to those vows. God heard them. And he has helped us to be faithful to one another. Amen? So today I wanted to encourage you about the faithfulness of God to let you know that no matter what you're going through, what you're facing, what has happened, where you are right now, look to God as the faithful one. Remind him of his promises. He doesn't mind you doing that, by the way. He wants you to do that. Not that he needs prompt it to keep it but he knows it's going to help you and it's going to bless you and it's going to strengthen your faith if you remind him of his word you can say God here is your promise to me it's in black and white there's the page number I'm just reminding you Lord this is your word to me he won't mind that one bit because you need to read that and you need to say that, and you need to stand on that, and you need to say, Lord, this is your promise. I will believe it, and I will receive it in Jesus' name. Amen? Let's pray. The Bible says if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. Whose word will we believe? The word of men or the word of God? Let's choose to believe the word of God today.
Those who are going to serve the table this morning, if you could come, please. Let us determine today that not only we'll be faithful to God, but we'll be faithful to one another. In our marriages, in our relationships, it's so important to be faithful. All through Jesus' life on earth, he lived under the shadow of the cross. He knew what was ahead of him. Didn't take him by surprise. He even told his disciples before it happened. The thing that kept him going, he saw the reward. And part of that reward is us sitting here today. He won us. He bought us. He died for us. And he rose again for us. Father had a plan and he was faithful to it. When he said those three words, it is finished. Job was complete. Prophecies were fulfilled. Promises were kept because he was faithful. Now, Lord, as we come to this table, as we partake of the bread and the cup, we give you thanks that you were so faithful that you went to that cross. <coughs> you suffered such pain and agony. You gave all that you could give that we might be saved today. So we give you thanks for so great salvation because of the so great price that was paid. And as we partake today, we're humbled in heart that you love us, that you, the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the ends of the earth, actually love us. We bless you for that. And so here's the evidence today. Bread which speaks of your body, broken for us. Cup that speaks of your blood, shed for us. It's all the proof we need, Lord. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.